That's a little bit the Pokemon story, right? You leave home as what? A ripe old nine-year-old and then your <laughs> single mom just stays home and is like, I'll mail you money and somehow know where you are all the times. And then I'm going to get remarried and now I've got a new husband. His name is Mr. Mime and he cleans my whole house. <laughs> oh man, I it never occurred to me because I knew she got a Mr. Mime, but it never occurred to me until just now that she got the Pokemon. Pokemon with the most finessed, dexterous fingers. Mm. Yeah, she should have got a Lickitung. Oh, a good oh, choice. Well, is that good though? That's like a big wet bath mat lapping up against Hell you. Yeah. That's not actually. <laughs> Hell yeah. Show me a bath mat that'll lap on me. I'm buying it. If I was Ash's mom, I would have definitely gone the macho crowd. Ooh. All right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Ma choke. Okay, I will. <laughs> we should do a bachelorette style Pokemon game, and it's just Ash's mom deciding which anthropomorphic Pokemon she dates. I would watch a whole season of all these Pokemon talking to each other in huddled groups about the other Pokemon, and then mom goes on a date with one. There's like a Hitmon yes. Lee going on a helicopter date with Ash's mom. So, this is going to be pretty challenging. It's important for us to pause for a moment. Okay. Life Pile. This is Life Pile Podcast, the only podcast that doesn't let some rubber ball tell us when we can pick up our jacks. I'm lifestylist and lifestyle expert Camden Johnson. I can say four recorded phrases, my hair changes colors when you put me under cold water, and I come with moderately sized parts that you should not put in your mouth, Dylan Bragasa. Toy boat. Toy boat. Hey, it's Ryland. That's my catchy <laughs> phrase this week. That's a great one. I can't say that correctly one time. They're like, say this five times fast. I'm like, I could say it once if I was lucky. Really? Is it hard? I always thought it was like a joke. Let's just joke around and say toy boat. Try to say toy boat like very fast in a row. Toy boat, toy boat, toy boat, toy boat, toy boat, toy boat, toy boat. Okay, okay. <laughs> if I say anything so... that fast. See, I'll just be like toy boat, toy boat, toy boat, toy boat, steel beams. I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Life Pile Podcast is the podcast for people who don't let facts get in between them and the lifestyle section they go to to circle a BB gun ad they will hide in their mother's magazine. Every week we review some of the hottest lifestyles to live, but before that we do some lifestyling for you live on air, giving you our expertise for free. And this week is our special Life Pile exclusive. This is Boys in Toyland. These boys ain't playing no more, but they are toying with your expectations. Before we get into any of that though, do we have any corrections from our last episode? I don't think we do because we're perfect. I don't, but I, I do have a, a news story. Oh, editorial section. Senior editor, lifestylist Ryland Warner has brought a story to the bullpen. Ryland, take it away. Hey guys, this has nothing to do with toys, uh, nor does it have anything to do with our last episode. I just heard this story this week and I needed to share it on air. <laughs> kind of a lonely uh, guy, huh? <laughs> 
<laughs> the headline is shark disguised as baby stolen from aquarium <laughs> in push chair. <laughs> Yay. My favorite part of this story is it wasn't the thieves who disguised the shark as a baby. That was just some bored employees. <laughs> this happened a couple of months ago in San Antonio, Texas, and a group of people just went to an aquarium, took a shark. It was unfortunately a tiny shark. Okay. I wish it was big. I oh, wish it was full size. Just a, a human sized, <laughs> eight foot tall shark baby costume. <laughs> But the aquarium was open at the top and so they could reach in and they reached in, grabbed the shark, pulled it out, wrapped it up in a blanket, put it in the baby stroller and walked out. Jesus. So, yep. And did it survive or did, how did they get caught? They tried to stop them at the aquarium and they weren't able to, but I think the police what do you caught mean? them later. This is my baby. That's a shark. <laughs> how dare you say that about my baby? Sure, his skin scaly. What gives you the right? Well, we have to let him go. <laughs> I think it was one of those things where like, you know, if you make it to the parking lot, you're in the clear. Like they, they can't, can't do anything about it. They're not going to follow you out, even though they know you have a shark in that stroller <laughs> my, my brother's friend when we were kids he worked at the yankee candle in the mall and he said that the policy with shoplifters is that you had to watch them pick up the item and hide it on their body then you had to watch them without losing sight of them all the way until they walked out of the store and only then could you accuse them of shoplifting so it's probably that same thing where it's like well i saw him pick up the shark i saw him shove it into a baby costume and put it in a stroller i lost him for like three seconds while they watched behind a churro stand and so we weren't allowed to stop them at the door those laws are so wacky because they really take all power out of store clerks hands i worked at american apparel in downtown chicago on state street and this group of girls came in grabbed a bunch of hangers off the rack and beat up all the employees with the hangers what? and backed them into a corner and then stole a shit ton of shit with the sensors still on it but no one was gonna like stop them because there were these other girls with a bunch of wooden hangers like stay the fuck back <laughs> With hangers? Hangers are like the lightest thing you could. I would rather use my hand. No, dog. They were like, we had like these wooden ass hangers that were like sturdy shit. Oh, these like those plastic. thick ones? Oh. Thick babies, yeah. No oh. wire hangers. Great story, though. American <laughs> history in action. Yeah. This country was founded on ingenuity, <laughs> innovation, and shoplifting schemes. Yeah, I just had to share that story with you guys. Uh, I, I couldn't pass it up. I'm sorry. Gabe, Gabe, can you come in here? Speaking of animal abuse, we, we're going to open your kennel up and we want to see if Gabe's got any submissions for us. We asked our listeners this week, what is some of their all time favorite toys? And we got some responses. Buddy boys, bark, bark. I got some submissions here. What the hold up? Here's a favorite what, toy. What you, no, Pro. shut up, shut up, <laughs> shut up. I don't like you calling us buddy boys, and that is in your employee handbook if you look on page 46. It's specifically stated. But did you say buddy boys bark bark like a chicken does? Bark bark because we keep him in a kennel. Mm -hmm. Yes, he was just let out, I think. Yep. Oof. Who let the dogs out? And I mean Who? that in Who? the original meaning of the song, which is to say that you're ugly. Gabe, take it away. That's what that song oh, meant? That's what the, the song is about. I'm up in the club and there's nothing but a bunch of dogs out in this club. Who let these dogs oh, out? Oh my yes. God. Yeah, it's very rude. It's not nice. Speaking of Gabe, I'm Whoa. sorry. I should treat you better. <laughs> 
Jeez. All right, here we go. Here's a favorite toy. Troll. Troll. Just <laughs> troll. Period. Troll. Did you guys have trolls? I think I did have some troll. They were not. <laughs> I wasn't happy about it. They, I'm well, surprised. I trolls. I would have figured that your parents would have decided that trolls were much too magical and satanic for you to have. Sure. Yeah. In case uh, you're a new listener, uh, my parents had a fun streak in my childhood where anything that could be construed as being Wiccan or witchcraftian in nature, it was immediately th- thrown in an incinerator. I remember the ones that we did have had little gems embedded in their stomachs. In their tummy. Is that yeah. what everyone, yes. all of them had? Okay. Yeah, they had gems in their tummy and they had a big poof of hair. Right. It was definitely a toy I had as a child. And even as a child, I was like, why do I like this? And why am I as a consumer, one of millions, who's ready to spend a lot of money on this? Right. But even thinking that, I'd still be like, and yet somehow here I am screaming at my parents, troll down, give me troll <laughs> I do think we grew up at the right age, too, because for me, at least, the thrift store was full of trolls. So, like, <laughs> they had gone out of style by this time. So it was, like, super easy to get trolls on the cheap. I loved it. Yeah, no, actually, that was a part of the thing is that they weren't. It's like. They were. They thought it was going to be Tickle Me Elmo. They thought it was going to be very popular, so they printed a whole bunch of these things, mm-hmm. and then it wasn't popular. But then because it wasn't popular, it was so cheap, so it was available, so every kid had one. Yes. That's such an important institution in this country, though. Those toys that were hot for precisely, like, 31 days, and we all bought them at the same time and then never proceeded to touch them. I'm thinking of that, like, sand that is solid but liquid but sand oh, but play clay. sand. That was, like, a hot toy for, like, eight seconds. Or those expandy, contracty mechanical balls that turn into big spheres but are spiky yeah. balls when they're contracted. Oh, yeah. oh, the lifeblood of malls. Yeah. Yeah. Or we talked about it in a previous episode of Life Pile, alien glitter anuses, <laughs> which yes. I looked it up uh, yesterday. Those are actually called water snakes, apparently. Ooh. Yeah, don't be a liar. It's an alien glitter anus. Don't you think it was weird how every time you walked into a mall, there was some employee just demonstrating how to use an alien glitter anus? It was just yeah. like, oh, it's slipping through my hands. Look at me using this. Oh, Very suggestive. What could you do with I loved the little the pen at the front of the EB toys that you would just put all the animatronic little walking dogs and stuff yeah. in and they would just all fight each other. Oh, it's so beautiful. <laughs> Do you guys ever have a Poochie or a Meowchie? No. Oh, I had both. Those were good. <laughs> we raised seeing eye dogs from the blind. No way. That, yeah, that was my like <gasps> a, as a child. Yeah. What? I, I, I guess we've never talked about this. <laughs> no. As a child, my family raised seeing eye dogs for the blind. And it's not like having a Tamagotchi, but you feed it and take care of it so that a blind person can take it from you. That is not how Tamagotchis work. <laughs> no, this thing is better than Tamagotchi. Like, imagine if you had a Tamagotchi, but it's a one year contract. And at the end of it, a good citizen is going to hatch out of your Tamagotchi and go take care of an elderly Japanese person. Okay, rather than just fill up its little digital cell with digital feces and cry, right. cry, cry <laughs> until it dies. Yeah, no, a Tamagotchi, like, imagine if you're a Tamagotchi, you know that you have, like, a limited amount of time where things will be good. And then without a doubt, at some point, you will be left alone in some back of some closet 
to slowly fill up your entire living space with feces until you die. <laughs> That's rough. Gaby? Here's another fave toy. Bionicle, look up the lore. It's fucking nuts. Some MCU shit. Some MCU shit for Bionicles. I have not looked up Bionicle lore. Have y'all? Just bing it. Bing it. Turn off safe search. No. Uh, bing hot Bionicles. <laughs> oh, I no, recommend this man. No, that's a thing. You know it. Oh, it definitely is. Everything's a thing. Everything's a thing. You're totally right. I <laughs> remember having all the OG Bionicles. There were the six flavors they came in, and you can combine them into like Megazord Bionicles. That was cool yeah and then i did the next iteration which was like bionicle ragnarok or something <laughs> and they were those little circular ball sphere ones yes those were good and that's where i stopped i think that's where i jumped in and i got one and that was it i went ahead and i uh opened up bing here and I turned safe search off and I went to the image search and I typed in the hot bionicle lore. <laughs> oh boy. First thing I'm seeing is some kind of mermaid Atlantean with a spear standing very suggestively. Okay. Uh, and then it looks like that mermaid was replaced by a very curvy bunny with very large breasts. Okay. okay. <laughs> there we go. And then... That dynasty was destroyed by the coming of the lizard lady, who is uh, <laughs> got some kind of frosting on her. I'm not sure what's going oh, on. No, there. you know this this pictography. It's a lot like ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics. You have to translate mm -hmm. the imagery into a language. It's not easily done. I want you to do me a favor. Okay, so we've we've seen a few of these search results, I think, for Hot Bionicles. I want you to stop scrolling through them. You, you've already kind of gotten the gist. They find these round Lego pieces to use as kind of like Lego Bionicle breasts. And so I'm just going to put an image here in the chat for you guys. I want you to describe to the good listeners uh, what you see in this one. Oh, uh, um, okay. All right. Uh... Please. Okay, so scientifically, we have a uh, a wolf woman, and her mother is looking at her with horns and a yellow hair. Yeah, these are all Legos. And, and yes, they are both robotic looking, and they the mother is looking quizzically at the wolf woman's chest area, and upon that chest there are uh, two Buzz Lightyear heads. <laughs> <laughs> They're two Buzz Lightyear breasts. They just happen to look like Buzz Lightyear. Well, you guys, I love that we've kind of cultivated a Lifepile fan base where this stuff is just being brought directly to our doorstep. I think this is the lore that this listener was talking about. Yeah, listener, mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm i never going to yuck your yums as long as there's consenting adults. Yeah. Live your life. I just didn't occur to me that when people talked about bionicle lore, this kinky, kinky stuff, which I think yeah. we can all agree this is exactly what the listener meant when they asked mm -hmm. us to talk about this. It yeah. does also remind me of when Thor looked at Spider-Man's Buzz Lightyear boobs. So yeah, it is like the MCU without a doubt. Just like that famous, famous <laughs> scene in Avengers. Yep. <laughs> oh, Gavey, what you got? Incoming. Another fave. Stretch Armstrong. Stretch Armstrong. Now, I was born in 92. This, I think, is from like 84. 1840. 1840. Yeah. <laughs> yes, this is another one that I got on the cheap because the fad was over. And let me tell you guys, do not put your Stretch Armstrong in the tub with you. Okay. Why? What happens in the tub? 
Um, I so I was a bad bather when I was a kid because I just what does it was, that mean? <laughs> I I did not like to bathe. I thought it was really boring, and I would rather do Strong. anything else. Gosh. So my parents had to get me a bunch of toys for the tub and one was stretch Armstrong. They didn't get it for the tub, but I was like, I'm taking them in. Come on in. <laughs> and I guess I don't know what happened or how it happened, but it, I, the water was too hot and it got stretch Armstrong hard. He turned. <laughs> okay. Oh, so no. we're just learning about his body and he's bringing no. it out of the podcast. <laughs> no, it, I, he turned hard. He wouldn't, he wouldn't stretch Armstrong. He was hard yes. strong. Yes, he was hard, hard Armstrong. And I, it was so sad. I couldn't play with them anymore. I mean, I could, but he was just a stiff man uh, after that. So What's the point? don't bring stretch Armstrong in the tub. He gets hard. I loved it. I loved it before it got hard. All right. Uh, Gabe, do you got anything else for us? Ninja Turtle Pizza Shooting Truck. <laughs> Ninja Turtle Pizza Shooting Truck. We got to sign you up for that punctuation class. I feel like you don't quite understand punctuation. I miss the turtles. That was more my older brother's generation. I was squarely in the Power Rangers era. Mm -hmm. Both of you, I feel like, are either old ancient elder gods that have been Mm -hmm. around since the inception of the universe, or you're like a little bit younger than me. I can't tell which is which. Both. Both. That's the way it works mm-hmm. with these Elder Gods. So you, were the Elder Gods playing with Ninja Turtles? Uh, my truck was launching pizzas, let me tell you. Oh. As a young man, my truck launched pizzas. At least I think I did. Maybe I just got so emotionally attached to that commercial that I am now imagining that I had one. Okay. Yeah. But my my childhood was all about those VHS tapes of the men in silicone suits, and you can see their mouth moving inside of their turtle mouth. Yeah. <laughs> That's my childhood right there. Yes. I love them, Turtle Boys. Ryland? Yeah. I played with this. It was another hand-me-down of my cousins. So I just got all the old shitty toys that everybody loved, and I got them, and it it wasn't that cool, but it was fine. Oh. I was fairly certain that my toys came to life. Did you guys think that your toys were alive? Uh, No. Oh. I didn't. Because I, I was master and commander, you know, like I gave them life. They didn't live without me. This was my world and I was their God. Oh, so. Like the psychology of toys is so fun. <laughs> I was like constantly trying to convince my toys, like begging, pleading with them. Like, I promise I will not tell anyone. Just please like move or talk or like look at me or like blink twice. I know you're alive. Be cool. I'm cool. I'm not a cop. I'm not a cop. I'm a cool guy. I think it's it's probably because I was like Sid in Toy Story. I was a little bit of a toy torturer. So I could see that. Lots of dismembering your toys. Well, melting. <gasps> One of my favorite things to do was to freeze them, to put them in water and then. Oh, my God. And then put the water in the freezer. I just thought that was so fun. And that to a toy itself that's not living has like zero effect. But if that toy was alive, then yeah, that'd be bad. Would so. hate it. Yeah. How did mm-hmm. you melt your toys? You put them in the microwave? Matches. Oh. No, I, I did the whole magnifying glass thing just because I saw it in movies. So I was like, I'm going to do it here. That is literally a scene that Sid was in. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And my cousin, he also made toy movies. and But his movies were like war movies. So he would get like firecrackers and have like grenades going off on these toys. Ooh. It was pretty cool, though. Dang. So God, You guys are reminding me and like the 
1800s, you know, you'd have all your toy soldiers, but Victorian gentlemen started playing games of war where they would do war reenactments with their little toys. And then it turned into like a role playing game almost where you pretended to be a general and mm. played against another player and would move little lead toys around your Victorian yard. <laughs> to play against each other. Wow. There's a beautiful magic in play and toys where you can unlock this amazing creative potential if you're willing to sacrifice your coolness upon the altar. Like, you can create and explore and discover so much if you're Mm -hmm. willing to be a fucking dork. And I think a lot of adults lose that magical power. They do. I love the recent proliferation, though, of adults reinvesting themselves in video games and board games and card games and like collectibles and role playing games and cons in general, where like you're dressing up and cosplaying. And I feel like there's this big push in our generation. I wonder what it could be, how scary adulthood is these days. (laughs) A big push to go back to childhood, which I think is good and nice and needed here's here's some toy psychology for you guys one of my most vivid christmas morning memories is i came downstairs and my parents got my sister and i they had them all laid out at the foot of the fireplace a fisher price castle that had like a cannon and all these knights and stuff on it and a dragon then there was a fisher price pirate ship next to it yes. with more cannons some oh buccaneers gosh. that have some really wide stances I, f- I pulled a few people it seems like a lot oh, yeah. of kids had this growing up and then next to that was a fisher price castle again but this castle was white and pink and purple and it came Whoa. with like a little rotating floor with a princess that could clip into it and a prince that would like dance with her and a carriage and horses and my dad was like all right you guys like these are all your you could you guys can share both of these i don't want your sister to just get the princess castle and dylan you get two things so everyone can share everything uh i'll play with you before uh the family shows up later today to open family presents what do you guys want to play with and i was like okay so Here, you take this. You're the prince and I'm the princess in my carriage and I'm running away from you and you're chasing me. (laughs) And my dad was like, okay. And we did that for like a few minutes. And boy, howdy, if that didn't inform the rest of my life. That's nice though. But he did play the game. He did play the game. Yeah. That's so sweet. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool that he didn't assign gifts to you guys. That's pretty rad. He didn't. My parents gave everything a real honest shot with me. Like a lot of little boys end up playing every sport and when we (laughs) did all of that, my dad was kind enough to be like, okay let's try like a drawing class or like you could do plays at your local rec center or one of the most touching things my dad ever did was print out an entire player's guide to Ocarina of Time for N64 and he hole punched all of it and put it in a binder and then he sat on a beanbag chair and like read to me what to do while I played N64. That like is so sweet. That's the that cutest thing. It was really cute. And then my mom came in and was like, this is witchcraft. Please throw it away. And we were like, okay, sorry. <laughs> we do have one final thing. Our final listener submission. Fuck yeah. Polly Pocket. I really like the drama that Gabe read that way. <laughs> Holly Pocket, I played with a couple. Me too. Rylan, did you ever play with the one where 
there was a magnetic track underneath the Polly Pocket House, and Polly would like latch to it, and then you can move this little handle Whoa, around and like operate no. her around her home. It was sick. That is so cool. No, I did not. I'll, I played with literally the like she had. It was like a clamshell thing that you could put her in, and that was it. And hell yeah, I played with it. Back off, guys. You want to fight me? It's such an interesting turning point in your life. As a child, there's no defined lines between things. Life is chaos. Mm -hmm. And then there's a certain point where you realize that some people have strong feelings about some weird criteria of things that runs through every facet of life, although it seems very vague and hard to describe or understand. And you suddenly need to say... Bro, that's gay to some subset of things, but you don't know what they are. And so you're mostly just guessing like, yo, look at that sunset. Nah, dog, that's gay. That's just a sunset. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, I got it wrong this time. But if I don't say it at the right time, I'm going to be in trouble. Yeah. I remember one Easter, my cousins were visiting. And because it was a special Easter, we don't usually have them over. The parents, I think, just decided instead of just giving them chocolates in their Easter baskets, we'll give everybody like a little toy. And... I got into my basket and I had a DVD copy of The Princess Bride. And I was freaking psyched about it because it's a dope movie and I love it. Yeah. I was the youngest boy in my family and all the other boys, I can't even remember what toys they got in their baskets, but all the stuff they got, to me, I decided it was much more masculine. And The Princess Bride has princess in the title. And And bride. bride. (laughs) Yeah, not macho. And so I was mm-hmm. just going, I started going like, what's the deal? How come I got Princess Bride? You trying to say something, bro? What you trying to say, bro? And I kept like doing that. What's the deal, bro? What you trying to say? I got Princess Bride, bro. And I kept doing that until my mom cried. And it mortified me. It's one of the developing periods of my life because I felt so bad. Because I love the Princess Bride. And I just got all macho and insecure. And I kept going like, oh, so I got the Princess Bride. What you trying to say, bro? And it made my mom cry. And she was watching her sweet good boy just like dissolve in acid in front of her. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was a very effective moment in my very young age when I just went, I'm just never going to care about being masculine again because it's a stupid waste of time and it just makes nice people feel sad for doing nice things for you. The other things you like, the Princess Bride is dope. Yeah. And it haunted me for years and years. It was like one of those things like, you know, you can't, you lay in bed awake at night and you can't fall asleep because you're just Mm. playing that over and over in your mind again. I, I finally brought it up to my mom last year. And? She's like... Oh, I don't remember that at all. Oh. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. on one side, it's like, and the other side, is like, man, I made her cry so much that she can't remember oh, no. individual <laughs> cases. She remembers the other one. Love you, mama. That's our audience segment. So let's get into some big lifestyles to live in the toy lifestyle. All right, guys. So we all know what happened back when we were kids, back when they first started experimenting with artificial life. And uh, they were like, hey, who better to handle this new development in technology and this weird boundary between what's living and what's not than children? Yeah. And they gave us Furbies. Oh. Yeah, dog! 
Dog. Maybe you guys have heard about this, but I feel like this paper needs to be talked about more. It's a paper by a woman who now works at MIT uh, named Sherry Turkle. And what she did is she conducted an experiment where she would go to schools and she would give out Furbies to children and then document their experiences. She's very interested in AI and what makes a thing alive. So it's kind of like the Turing test for her, but it's a little furry thing that opens its eyes and goes. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just going to read it from here. Okay. From the very first, the children make it clear that the Furby is a machine, but alive enough to need care. They try to connect with it using everything they have, bad dreams and scary movies that make one child see the Furby as a monster and their understanding of loneliness, which encourages another to exhort. Let them play together. They use logic and skepticism. Do biological animals have this kind of fur? Do real animals have motors? Perhaps, although this requires a new and more expansive notion of what a motor can be. They use ambiguity of this new object to challenge the understanding of what they think they already know. They become more open to the idea of the biological as mechanical and the mechanical as biological. Eight-year-old Pearl thinks that removing batteries from a Furby cause it to die and that people's death is akin to taking the batteries out of a Furby. Kim, have you heard of this story before? So this particular one I have not heard about, I don't think. But the creator of the Furby, I listened to an interview with him, and he regards them as living creatures. Yeah. Yeah. And these kids definitely reinforce that. So here's this kid, Wilson. He's seven years old, and he's comfortable with his Furby as both machine and creature. Just as he always hears the machine in the Furby, he finds the machine in himself. As the boy sings improvised love songs about the robot as his best friend, he Uh. pretends to use a screwdriver on his own body, saying, Uh. I'm a Furby. (laughs) Oh, And when he was in a second grade class project of repairing a broken Furby by dismantling it screw by screw, Wilson plays with the idea of the Furby's biological nature. I'm going to get its baby out, he says. (laughs) And then he plays with the idea of his own machine nature. He applies the screwdriver to his own ankle saying, I'm screwing my ankle. Okay. <laughs> so maybe there's babies inside of ankles. Maybe this is like a huge breakthrough that Wilson just stumbled upon. Why is that what you take <laughs> out of this? That maybe there's babies in ankles. Wait, do you guys remember? <laughs> I want to say they were called Woombas. No, what? the vacuum that goes around on its own and you yeah, have to Woomba, take care of it. There, there were these little babies having dolls that would give birth. And I was really fascinated with them because they were like otherworldly Furby type alien beings that would push a baby out of themselves. Um, well, let what? me go ahead and open up Bing and turn off Safe Search and, <laughs> no. and Google birthing aliens. <laughs> That's so crazy. I found it. It's called a love love. And these things 
gave birth to eggs out of a birth pouch. So they're marsupial in uh, nature. But judging like a kangaroo. Right. But judging by some of their uh, aesthetic characteristics, I'd say they're probably part of the same uh, phylum as Furby. I think they probably evolved yeah. from the same species. They come from planet Furby for sure. I love that the kid was like, there's a baby in it. I wonder what else was going on in that kid's life. Whoa. I'm looking at the manufacturing date of Wove Loves and they were like a couple years after my sister was born. Of course, childhood <laughs> Dylan was like fascinated with these things because I was like, right? oh, babies. Yeah. You're trying to deal with that same shit. So of course you're paying yeah. attention. Yeah. Yeah. I think Wilson would agree with you. His favorite thing about his Furby is that they both like to burp. In this, he says, well, you can stop saying Wilson. You can just say your own name. Yeah, you don't have to hide, bud. As I was you. reading this, I was like, Wilson, that was me as a child yes. for sure. Gets me. <laughs> he talks about the Furby and he says, the Furby is just like me. I love burping. Wilson holds his Furby out in front of him, his hands lightly touching the Furby's stomach, staring intently into its eyes. He burps just after or just before his Furby burps Ugh. much as the classic bonding scene in E.T. when the boy <laughs> Elliot and the visitor from afar are burping together oh. can we please not tie this to the movie where a full grown adult mm. alien comes to earth to get a little boy drunk can we not when Wilson describes his burping game he begins by saying that he makes his Furby burp but he ends up saying his Furby makes him burp <gasps> Wilson likes the sense that he and his Furby are sync that he can happily lose track of where he leaves off and the Furby begins. Oh my <laughs> God. They're becoming symbiotic. Yes. Yeah, I was thinking about this earlier, like the toys that we choose to develop that connection with, I feel like that has such a strong bearing like things that happen to you in those developmental years have a bearing on who you grow up to be. Is that Freudian nonsense or is there some merit to that? I don't know. But like, you know, a child that has a GI Joe that you're like, you are me, but you're not me. And then they grow up to be like, I am a GI Joe myself. And then that mm -hmm. like influences their decisions or a Barbie or yeah. a, a Furby. What is Wilson going to be when he grows up? <laughs> I feel like these all have, have really strong implications. Not to be like, oh no, don't let your child imprint on like a truck because then it's going to grow up to want to make out with trucks. But Let it happen. It's all natural, baby. I like missed the Furby boat though because I never extrapolated this much meaning like Wilson's doing. Did y'all? So... I think it was my birthday. I got a Furby and then my parents were like, oh, here's another Furby, by the way, because they were sold on the idea that the Furbies can communicate with each other. Oh. But they gave the other Furby to my sister and I was like, what the fuck? It's my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Give me both the Furbies. I mean, I thought it was cool. I think I was maybe a little bit too old to get so psychologically invested. It was a cool thing, though. I forgot that they had those little like laser panels in their foreheads and that's yeah. what they would use to connect. It was cool seeing them like look at each other and like talk to Ooh. each other. That was <laughs> it was an interesting experience. Do you think sure. there were infrared frequencies coming out of those forehead panels that can only be perceived by kids between the ages of three and four and that's how they would imprint <laughs> on these Furbies and they would become bonded Whoa. for life. 
Yeah. And for me, I just got this growth. It was weird. <laughs> it's really weird. <laughs> my Furby learned my name. No, that's not true or real. Uh, it's true and real. Because, you know, you pick up a Furby, you put it upside down, and you're like, oh, that's not fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then... After a while, mine would go, oh, that's not fun, Camden Johnson, lifestylist and lifestyle expert. That's when I took a step back and I was like, wait, what? what? There's kids here, David and Zach. They were both eight years old and they were studying Hebrew. And then they said, my Furby dreams about Hebrew, says David. (gasps) It knows how to say, I'm sorry, I don't know how to say this word, but Elohainu. And I didn't even try to teach it. It was just from listening to me doing my Hebrew homework. Shut up. <laughs> and Zach agrees. Mine said they and you in its sleep. <laughs> my Furby told me the exact day humanity will fall and civilization will be turned over to the Furby. That's exactly what I was thinking, too. I was like, this is definitely summoning a demon somewhere. <laughs> and a week after Zach receives his Furby, however, his mother calls my office in agitation. Zach's Furby is broken. It has been making a terrible noise. It sounds as though it might be suffering. And Zach is distraught. (laughs) Things reached their worst during a car trip from Philadelphia to Boston with the broken Furby wailing as though in pain. (laughs) On the long trip home, there was no Phillips screwdriver for the ultimate silencing, aka taking out the batteries, (laughs) not stabbing it in the eyes. His final sleep. <laughs> so Zach and his parents tried to put the Furby to sleep by nestling it under a blanket, but every time the car hit a bump, the Furby woke up and made a terrible noise. <laughs> Thanks, Cam. And so they replace his Furby, but Zach doesn't like his new Furby because he misses the old one. His old one knew Hebrew and this new one doesn't. And he has this emotional living connection with this toy printed on him. No wonder. He yes. Misses it. They're connected. Can you imagine that you are a Furby who comes into consciousness? You become aware of your own being as you are on a trip road trip from Boston to Philadelphia and the mere sheer weight of existence makes you just scream (laughs) (laughs) yes it it was it was creating a portal in your bedroom and now how is it going to get the demon through like all Furbies everywhere are constantly building this web that will one day banish our world through a wormhole into another part of the galaxy now Ryland Dylan I have to disagree I'm sick and tired of all this Honestly, anti-Semitic talk about Jewish Furbies, good Jewish oh Furbies trying to do Satan rituals. It's not true. It's not right. Oh. I'm sorry. You're right. I should I should check myself before I wreck myself. Okay, for this last part, I want to talk about this specific event that happened in a classroom. Two eight-year-olds fret about how much their Furby sneeze. The first worries that his sneezing Furby is allergic to him. The other fears his Furby got its cold because I didn't do a good enough job taking care of him. Several children become tense when Furbies make unfamiliar sounds that might be signals of distress. But when a Furby is in trouble, children ask, is it tired? Is it sad? Have I heard it? Is it sick? What shall I do? I doubt a kid said, what shall I do? (laughs) Forsooth! (laughs) 
What action shall I take? Good lord, tell me, guide my hand. But taking care of a robot is a high stakes game. Things can and do go wrong. In one kindergarten, when a Furby breaks down, the children decide they want to heal it. Ten children volunteer, seeing themselves as doctors in an emergency room. They decide they'll begin taking it apart. <laughs> the proceedings begin in a state of relative calm. When talking about their sick Furby, the children insist that this breakdown does not mean the end. People get sick and people get better, okay? But as soon as scissors and pliers appear, they become anxious. At this point, Alicia screams, The Furby's gonna die! Sven, to his classmates' horror, pinpoints the moment when Furbies die. It happens when a Furby's skin is ripped off. <laughs> Sven considers the Furby as an animal. You can shave an animal's fur and it will live, but you cannot take its skin off. As the operation continues, Sven reconsiders. Perhaps the Furby can live without its skin, but it will be cold. <laughs> Some children become more anxious as the operation continues. One suggests that if the Furby dies, it might haunt them. It is alive enough to turn into a ghost. Indeed, a group of children start to call the empty Furby skin the ghost of Furby and Furby's <laughs> naked body the goblin. <laughs> They are not happy that this operation might have a Furby goblin and a ghost at large. Oh my god. It's not good for the community. We must shun them. One girl comes up with the idea that the ghost of the Furby will be less fearful if distributed. She asks if it would be okay if every child took home a piece of Furby skin. She is told that this would be fine, but unappeased, she asks the same question two more times. In the end, most children leave with a bit of Furby fur. Some talk about burying it when they get home. They leave room for a private ritual to placate the goblin and say goodbye. Inside the classroom, most of the children feel they are doing the best they can with a sick pet, but from outside the classroom, the Furby surgery looks alarming. Children are passing by and calling out, You killed him! How dare you kill Furby! You'll go to Furby jail! <laughs> <laughs> Denise, who is eight years old, watches some of the goings on from the safety of the hallway. She has a Furby at home and says she does not like to talk about its problems as diseases because Furbies aren't animals. She used the word fake to mean non-biological and says Furbies are fake and they don't get diseases. But later she reconsiders her position when her own Furby's batteries run out and the robot so chatty only moments before becomes inert. Uh. Denise panics. It's dead. It's dead right now. Its eyes are closed. She then declares her Furby both fake and dead. Oh, my God. <laughs> and that's that's basically it. Um, <laughs> okay. I I don't know where to begin. These children have invented a new religion. I feel. Yes. And they are yeah. privy to something, to some kind of spiritual discourse with our material realm and some kind of elevated arcane way of being that these Furbies inhabit that we as adult people are not sensitive enough to. And I don't want to say too much about it for fear of angering the Furby gods. <laughs> 
these kids are all individual shamans. Yeah, I think so. I mean, parents like wonder why millennials don't kind of operate and interface with the world and one another in ways that they're familiar with. And it's because when our parents were growing up, their toys were made of wood. It was a bow. It was an arrow. It was a dolly. It was a truck. And its <laughs> purpose was to provide a steady stream of positive reinforcement. Now, our generation has toys that make us question the nature of existence, of being, of not being, of birth, death. How can something fake be dead, but also be a ghost? But the Furby makes you question your own being. Like, am I a motor with fur? Can I live without my skin? It's like, this is why we love avocado toast so much. <laughs> well, I guess it's a reluctant apprehensive live it for me for fear of angering a being which I do not understand Furby's live it <laughs> Cam would you live or leave the Furby lifestyle I'm gonna say live it to the Furby lifestyle I've said it before and I'll say it again this culture has a lot of robot racism and we're going to have to come to terms with it here pretty soon because they're going to be most of the workforce. Yeah, for me, I think uh, having to be a Furby surgeon sounds pretty appealing. Uh, I like cutting things up and seeing the goblins inside. So I think I'm definitely going to have to live it. Oh, that's a triple live it on them Furbs. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's burp together. Cam, <laughs> you got some toys for us, bud? Oh, I should do y'all it's the turn of the century not this century the last century and the wall between the land of the living and the land of the dead is paper thin <gasps> y'all may or may not be aware but in the late 1800s through the early 1900s spiritualism became its own religion in the western societies people were all going to seances with famous people who were known to be able to speak to mediums and ghosts and reach on to the other side until american hero and magician houdini closed the gates to the netherworld and separated america from the land of the dead but inside this very interesting parable is a little mini story we can zoom in on to of the Ouija board. Oh my God. Yes, it's fun. It's a toy. It's for kids and it's a portal to the netherworld. <laughs> <laughs> Those kindergartners definitely could have used it. Here's the thing, like imagine if, let's do another study and let's give those kids Furbies and let's give them Ouija boards. And when your Furby dies, here's a Ouija board, talk to it, <laughs> ask it about its experience. What was oh, dying like? So Wikipedia says the earliest Ouija boards were in ancient China, outlawed by the Qing dynasty. But honestly, the Ouija board is classically a board of letters with a planchette, which one or more people places their hands on and apparently ghosts guide it to different letters that spell out messages. But it's not too unlike ancient augury in China and very old Chinese history, they would write questions, scratch them into bones or turtle shells, and then take a hot poker and place it against the bone or the shell. And then when the heat made the bone or shell crack, they would read those cracks as an answer to the question. 
So, I mean, like, hundreds of years later, Chinese were using Ouija boards, as the common moniker goes. But, I mean, it's not that too different from that very, very old augury that was going down. Around the late 1800s, Parker Brothers released a toy where it's like, well, everyone's using these little tables. What if we just sold it as a toy? Right. Mm -hmm. Because everyone's going to buy it to do it at parties. Because at the time you have seances where people in society like Paris Hilton would say, everybody come over to my house. We're going to talk to ghosts. I got a very famous set of twins that say they can speak to ghosts and they're going to do a seance at my house and we're going to go waste. Mary Kate and Ashley can do that. (laughs) Yeah, they can. (laughs) It's amazing. So it's all the rage. It's all the thing going on in the late 18th century. And then you have the Ouija board come out, which has many different creators who would buy the license from another person and they'd be like, make up their own story, how they came up with it. But at the end of the day, the whole idea is that you use this board to speak to ghosts. It became very popular. But at the time, you had a whole bunch of con artists and or magicians who were able to talk to the netherworld were like, wait a second. People are buying tickets to our show, and now instead of buying tickets to our show, they can just do it in their living room with a board. So their immediate reaction was to go like, these are dangerous spirits. Hold up. You guys aren't trained. You need to be licensed like I am. These Mm. demons will fuck you up. I'm cool. I can be your guide and help you deal with them. But these guys are crazy. You can't handle them unless you got me. Yeah, they were like the weed dealers before the legalization of weed. Yes, like, it's like, let me be your middleman. Let me fix this for you. Yeah. Let me be your. Fixer. You can't trust this weed from Target, dude. That no, they'll no, mess no. you up. I won't. I inspect it. I'm your guy. Let me fix it up for you. Mm-hmm. So I tell you all this to ask you, you guys. Houdini closed the portals <laughs> to the netherworld. You guys know about this? No. I heard about it. You've heard about it, Dylan? Uh, just a few minutes ago when Cam said it. <laughs> if you read history textbooks, the history textbooks will tell you that Houdini realized at that same time he was getting popular as a magician. All these people are getting famous for doing seances. And spiritualism is very popular when he was popular. And he, if you read the history books said that they were charlatans and he recognized all the magic tricks he was doing. And he's like, if you guys knew the magic tricks these people were doing, you wouldn't fall for this shit. And it's very sad because at the time there's a lot of war, there's a lot of disease. So there's a lot of like 20 something wives whose lives have been destroyed and are like, can you speak to my husband? And you've what the history books are con men telling people this stuff for money and just tricking the shit out of people. And the history books say Houdini recognizes the tricks and he wants to be the truther, right? What the history books won't tell you is that they could speak to the netherworlds and Houdini <laughs> thought it was wrong. And he, he used his magical powers to shut all the doors to the nether realm. Okay, the history books won't tell you that. What I'm here to ask you lifestylists today is how can we make the next million bajillion dollar toy because the formula is there we have to somehow connect children to ancient occult powers we need to somehow splice through dimensions let's get in the pitch room let's brainstorm and come up with the next great american toy 
that will give children occult powers. What's it going to be? Mm. All right, get mm-hmm. this. The children need to be able to connect with it on a personal level. So mm-hmm. I say we make it a being with a recognizable face. I'm talking eyes. I'm talking a mouth. Maybe it makes some noises. So it seems like it's interacting <laughs> with you. We cover it in fur because kids like something that's comfy. It's maybe something they want to snuggle with. And then obviously mm. they need that portal to that nether world. So it's going to need to be <coughs> equipped with some sort of infrared phaser so that it can uh, project thoughts ideas, experiences into the child's mind's eye. I say we call it Furby. (laughs) (laughs) This is a wrap on Cam's segment. Case closed. That's that's open and shut. I I actually do have a product unlike that joke because I worked in a school. That was more of like a uh, detective case. I think you actually revealed (laughs) a lot about what the Furby's creation do us. But no, Ryland, you go on. No, but I I worked in a middle school and I've seen Ouija Board 2.0. Have you guys... What you do is you get two pencils and you make them across like so you put one up and down and then you put another pencil on top of that pencil. So lying across it the other way horizontally and then you should have a paper underneath it that says yes or no in like a uh four quadrant way huh? I whatever and you ask it a question and then you wait for basically the wind to blow the pencil until it points at a yes or a no and the kids loved doing this so what I'm gonna do is just make some two sticks in a box and call it the yes or no machine baby <laughs> ask the spirits whatever you want oh. I would love playing it with them because I would secretly just blow the pencil <laughs> whichever direction I wanted and they would get really scared so it was pretty rad (laughs) what were you doing were you some kind of creepy janitor who would come out of his closet and be like hey kids would you like to know whether you're gonna die today Uh, I was basically a math tutor Basically the same thing. <laughs> Just crawling out of the closet. <laughs> What's five times six? <laughs> Blow the pencil. <laughs> okay. Get out of here, Houdini. Stop trying to take away my power. So I think what we're zeroing in on here is some kind of mechanized living being made of gears <laughs> encased in an animal fur. Yeah. That is able to speak with you and shoot infrared beams into your forehead. Yeah, sure. I, I, I yeah, that, that's, that sounds right to me. I like it. Mm-hmm. Can we take this to the board? I need to hear a livid officially. Wait, we had sticks in there, right? There were sticks. I, I, I need a box of sticks. That's There's all a box I really of sticks. Want. You and they are. You, here's the thing about these sticks. They're carved mm-hmm. perfectly. As you throw them, they spin in the wind, and then they yes. land yes or no. Okay. And he throws a box of steaks and says, Oh, these are bad omens. This is our bad times for us. Green light. Live it. <laughs> Live it. Live it. Gonna make a million dollars. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. All right, you guys. So y'all may remember my son back from my cyber parenting segment <gasps> back in the day. Oh, what was his name again? Name. My son's name on his birth certificate is Chuck. 
He's a tricky, sneaky boy who requires lots of close supervision between his multiple cell phones, the nightly parent-teacher conferences. He's got that ongoing feud with Angela Merkel, and he was able to sneak some extremely problematic toys through the living room, up into his bedroom, and into his toy chest. So I didn't really write a segment actually uh, for this for this issue. I'm I just uh, I pulled up his toy chest right here. I got it down at my feet, and so I'm just gonna kind of go through what I see. <laughs> And kind of kind of tell you guys what's going on. Sound good? I like this. It's yes. like a reverse unboxing. I think this could be big. Right. Yeah. So first up, I've got Chuck's Hannah Montana pop star card game. Whoa. <laughs> he, I got to know the rules. Rules are pretty simple, Cam. It's just a basic trivia game. Uh, the Hannah Montana pop star card game is about all things Hannah Montana. You'll also find cards that list fun activities for the whole slumber party, such as go around the circle and say, if you could put only three songs on your MP3 player, which would you pick? Uh, short people got no feelings. God. Uh, <laughs> short people, you get money if you kill them. That's a great song. That's a great God. song. And then... Uh, uh, Sean Paul's temperature. Okay, so the yep. vinyl cards. <laughs> I need to add that to my Spotify account. Oh, it's a <laughs> banger. It's a good music video, too. Also, the vinyl cards that the Hannah Montana game was printed on contains 75 times the legal limit for lead that can be in a children's toy. That's 3,000 parts per million. No. However, Hannah's card game stayed on shelves because the lead was found in its vinyl, not in any sort of paint, and thus was not covered by regulations. Wow. That's all you got to do is you just got to find that loophole and you get the lead into the kids. There we go. Up next, I got some flubber. (laughs) So somehow my son got a hold of the original flubber toy created by Hasbro and Disney. That's tell me he didn't touch it. What has he done with it? They teamed up to make a tie-in for the 1963 release of Son of Flubber. In the 60s, all the kids wanted their own flubber, and so this parent-approved formula hit shelves just before Christmas in 62, and a few weeks later, complaints of kids with head-to-toe rashes, fevers, sore throats were <laughs> flooding the customer service departments at Hasbro. After lawsuits and an extensive FDA inquiry, the companies determined that flubber caused folliculitis, a painful infection of oh, all the no. hair follicles on the body. <gasps> oh. After the recall, Hasbro attempted to incinerate the remaining flubber and found it just released a noxious black smoke but would not burn. (laughs) So Hasbro enlisted the help of the Coast Guard to sink the excess product but it just floated back to the surface. So in a last ditch effort, Hasbro buried tons of flubber and paved over it with a parking lot for their new Providence, Rhode Island warehouse. So there is a flubber tomb in Rhode Island. If you go, if it ever gets opened, it will release a (laughs) disease that will ravage the entire place. I love this burnt, wet flubber that's been at the bottom of the ocean and it is now in a tomb underground. Oh my god, it is so angry. Y'all thought that black sarcophagus that everyone wanted to drink out of was going to be bad. This flubber tomb is a doozy. Once again, my son was trolling antique stores for toys. He came across this little piece from the 1920s when we saw the dawn of children's mini toy kitchens marketed under trade names such as Little Lady and sold as Just Right for Tiny Girls. Those are quotes. The basic design of electric toy stoves were typically small, not much more than a foot high, 
with ovens five or six inches square. They featured oh, wire no. coil burners hot enough to cook no. pancakes on diminutive griddles. Some of the earliest produced by Empire Metalware of Two Rivers, Wisconsin, had oven thermometers calibrated up to 500 degrees. In oh 1930, God. toy brand Lionel upped the ante producing a children's kitchen twice the size of others in its class. The Lionel range stood two feet tall with a cooking surface just the right height for six to nine-year-old girls. It had a 10 by 10 inch oven, four electric coil burners similar to those on modern grown-up electric stoves and was constructed as, quote, substantially as the one mother uses. By 1931, an advertisement proclaimed the stove as ideal for apartments or kitchenettes. The company was not selling it as a toy anymore, but a solution for compact apartments. So they were just selling kitchen grade ovens (laughs) and burners to little girls and be like, yep, go ahead, play house. Yeah, I don't see how that could go wrong at all. I didn't necessarily want to build a segment out of like <laughs> hospital reports, so I didn't look up how many children incinerated oh. themselves and their families. Oh. But you got to assume, right? Yo, definitely. Back in the day, they must have just trusted kids so much more. They're right. just like, yeah, they can handle this. Just hey, give it, give it a bag of glass. Yeah. The kids can handle it. They're fine. I mean, it was World War II era. You got to assume one parent's out of the house fighting the good fight across the ocean. The other parents working in the potato factory, sewing together steel into blue jeans. Yep. That's the way you win a war at home. (laughs) Everybody does their part. So while mom is at work, little Susie is at home playing, a.k.a. making dinner for when mom gets home because she doesn't have time to cook. Right. A real ass stove. (laughs) Yes. Oh, it makes sense now. Ugh. Kind of in the same era, right after we started making all these mini kitchenettes, Chuck rolled his shopping cart down to the next aisle in the antique store and found himself the Gilbert U-238 Atomic Energy Lab. Guess where this one's going? Just kidding, I'm going to tell you. Described when it was sold in the early 1950s as, quote, the most elaborate atomic energy educational set ever produced. The Gilbert U-238 Atomic Energy Lab featured four uranium-bearing ore samples and a pre-formatted order form so kids could fill it out and get more uranium samples. What? <laughs> yes. The, what? Uh, I'll put up a picture of it, but it was essentially just this little case where kids could conduct... atomic energy experiments (laughs) and irradiate themselves here's the thing you guys when my dad was a kid he used to have the turtle videos PSAs at school like hey if a nuclear blast is gonna kill your ass hide under a desk not because it'll do anything, but because it's nice to do something so you don't just panic mm-hmm. before you die. Sure. And it's nice to have like the calming interaction where I am making nuclear bombs, so I'm not so nervous about one killing me. Exactly. Oh. Yeah, get a kid acquainted with every step of the process. Cam's right, yeah. So, so it's not just, hey, I know you're worried about this happening, so let's just get it over with. I'm going to give you a real uranium so you can just die. It's just, hey, let's let's get informed about the whole process. Okay, all right. Right. Chuck's since discarded this uranium kit a long time ago. As you guys know from the cyber parenting episode, my child's trading uranium across borders all over South 
Southeast Asia <laughs> and the Middle East, so he's a little familiar. And it's like you buy him a toy and they just get bored with it instantly and now they're doing war crimes. And it's like, mm-hmm. I, I got you this uranium kit and now you're playing with a box. Why didn't you just stay in the house? Yeah, Chuck, I got you this realistic oven with four burners on the top, and now you've got your satellite dish poised over the continental U.S., and you're threatening to laser beam us, harnessing the power of the sun. It's hard to keep kids focused on the toy at hand. Dylan, like, I keep not wanting to report you to child services, but now, like, I'm worried for my own safety at this point. Like, not even just Chuck, so I I hear you're loud and clear, Ryland, and I got something that might make you feel a little better. Okay, all right. My son left the antique store. This is a while back. He swung by a Toys R Us and got himself one toy from today's kids' toy selection. Oh, no. He got himself my friend Kayla. Kayla is this bright-eyed little doll of a girl who's available in a variety of ethnicities and outfits. And according to her website, Kayla can talk and interact with you. She can play games. She can read you a story and share photos. The site also says, when online, Kayla can answer almost any question. Oh, no. The site does not tell you. Kayla is banned from entering Germany. Kayla is built with a special Bluetooth-enabled camera and microphone setup that can be easily hacked and used to record. Similarly, Mattel has begun selling a new doll named Hello, Barbie who sports a built-in microphone and Bluetooth connection as well. Hello Barbie has been nicknamed Stasi Barbie in Germany after the widely hated East German secret police. So both my friend Kayla and Hello Barbie are forbidden from stepping their plastic heels on German soil. Yeah. I don't know. Parents seem to be buying these. The upside of having these Bluetooth cameras and microphones built into dolls is that your kid can essentially use my friend Kayla as like an Alexa and be like, Kayla, what's the sun made out of? It comes with an app that a parent can have on their phone and they can block like certain words or topics or whatever. And I presumably look at the, the things your child has been confiding in their doll. Oh, I don't know. I maybe maybe the best case scenario is that you're running a police state inside your own house. Yeah, that that is the best case. And the worst case is fucking terrible. And I thank you so much, Dylan, for bringing this up because the elections are coming up and I'm going to write in for any candidate. I'm going to write in. Hey, actually, no, uh, we need to make these illegal. I don't care who does it. Anybody just do it, please. I need these out of the hands of children right now. Yes, boys. I'm holding all these toys in my hands right now. Am I throwing these bad boys out or do I let my little Bambino play with them till he grows out of them or uh, like murder somebody? Live it or leave it. <laughs> I gotta say, all these toys seem pretty fancy. A lot of doodads, a lot of circuit boards, a lot of electricity. The Amish kids, they play with toys that don't even have faces. It doesn't take much to entertain you. Leave it. Throw those toys out. There we go. I don't want to pop a squat right over your parenting techniques, so I I don't want to say that you really fucked up here, (laughs) but I think maybe, I don't know, you should install an x-ray machine for when little Chuck walks in the house. You can scan his body, make sure he's not smuggling in any bombs, any ovens, any Bluetooth microphones. You need to get all of these out of the house right now to leave it. 
Okay, Ryland is saying get rid of the toys. Also, caveat, get full-time TSA agents to work the front and back doors of my house. Got it. <laughs> yes, and search his caveats as well. <laughs> I I think I agree with Ryland. This one's pretty cutting. Oh, <laughs> uh, I didn't I didn't notice there's a uh, uh, Kayla. Kayla's just sitting on the shelf next. <laughs> Um, no. you guys, I think, I, uh, no. I like, I like these toys, No. and Chuck is such a precocious Dun. young man, and I do, Dun. Dun. I do, Dun. I do love these Dun. Get out toys, of and I'm just gonna, Dun. I'm just gonna, Dun. Dun. I'm gonna leave it, I'm gonna leave it, sorry, bye, run, 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 he's gone, <gasps> now there's a doll, it's looking at us, Life Pile Podcast is the only <laughs> podcast that toys with your emotions. We want to thank the aliens for the tech. We want to thank Hasbro for the ghosts. We want to thank Scott Davis for doing all our music for our show. And if you want to be part of the show, you can call in to 720-663-8163. You can also text that line. And next show, we're going to be talking about time travel. So call in if you have any stories about time travel, any cool things you want to talk about. Also, uh, maybe what you would travel back in time to change in your life. You can also send us those submissions on social media. We're going to put a prompt up on our Instagram account so you can keep your eyes peeled there. Feel free to tweet at us. Send us a Facebook message or send us an anonymous ask on Tumblr. All of our social media accounts are at Lifepile Show. If you want to catch me this week, I will be using a lethal yo-yo to dispense with my enemies before I suddenly realize that it's kind of just fun to do all on its own. Kind of just throw the yo-yo down and catch it in your hand again. <laughs> Maybe there's a reason to yo-yo that doesn't have anything to do with killing men at all. Catch me this week out of the yo-yo park. Dylan, where can we catch you this week? Cam, I'm going to be holding a torch with a quivering hand as I descend a cobwebbed stone staircase and I come across a door that's got a handprint on it that is just the size of mine. And as I place my hand in the imprint, I feel the earth begin to tremble and the two stone doors slowly glide open as I hear the screeching of demons, the beating of wings, the stomping of hooves. And just before everything goes dark, I feel it. A trickle of green flubber wash up against my feet. <laughs> See you in the afterlife, y'all. <laughs> and uh, if you want to find me, I'm going to be setting up a stand in Civic Center Park. Drop by, take a piece of this Furby skin home, please. <laughs> I need to get rid of this Furby ghost. As many people as have a piece of this skin is the better. Please come grab one. Appease the goblin. Appease the ghost. This is Life Pile. Light your life on fire. <laughs>